This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. We all know the outcome of Monday's federal election, a Trudeau liberal minority government. But while Canadians were going to the polls on Monday, we here at Zoomer Radio were talking about why issues for older Canadians did not receive the attention they did during the campaign in 2015. The Zoomer demographic goes to vote in overwhelming numbers, which makes us wonder why all the parties spent so much time and energy courting millennials. On Election Day, Libby Snymer spoke with Zoomer Media VP and demographic expert David Kravitz and Zoomer Magazine senior editor Peter Mugridge. We uh, reached out to our Facebook members to ask them to, you know, tell us how they felt about uh, seniors' issues. And, and, and it became a, a particular focus after the debate where seniors were mentioned f- a grand total of four times. You know, uh, Quebec was mentioned a hundred times. Um, families were mentioned 30 times. Indigenous people were mentioned 66 times. Seniors were mentioned four times. So, so our readers uh, chimed in and, and they weren't happy. Many said they were feeling badly ignored. One person said, uh, the government doesn't care if we die. Another one, another one said, no one gives a blank about seniors. So it was that kind of feeling we were getting from our members about how the issues were just ignored in this, this election. David? Well, I think that's true. I think that uh, all of the parties acted as though I need to come up with one or two uh, money giveaway thingies that are mine, and then I've checked that box and I can move on. Uh, either they're taking the vote for granted or they are... Uh, undercounting the effect of that vote. And if you look at the other age groups and you look at the general indifference and the the lack of enthusiasm across the board, uh, this could be a turnout issue that if the Zoomers remain the only group that turns out in force, um, our age group will control the election. And then you go back into the polls, ours and others, and say, well, okay, who does our age group favor, admittedly, without you know, your heart going pitter-pat, and it seems to be a slight edge uh, to the Conservatives, but we'll see whether that plays out or not. It is interesting that on the one hand we were hearing, you know, people are disillusioned, I believe, across all age groups, and that's going to result in a low turnout, but then we had this mega turnout in the advance polls. Mm-hmm. I was actually in a lineup uh, at <laughs> one of the advance polls. I, I don't know how to explain that, but... Uh, like, I for the, explain For it. the first time in my life... <laughs> I, I'm a skeptic. For now, the first time in my life, I actually saw an advance poll. Like, I, the, These things were kind of like you had to really search for them, but as I walked through neighborhoods, I, I went for a walk on, on uh, that weekend, and, and there were advance polls all over the place. I'd just never seen them before, so so maybe it was just they, they were better advertised or something. I'm not well, sure. Well, I have to give credit to Elections Canada. Yeah. They really They seem to have really... Re- run it really well. Yeah. David, they were better were... advertised, but they've also added over a thousand polling, over a thousand That's advanced it. polling stations yeah. compared to last yeah. time. I'm not suggesting it was a weak turnout, don't get me wrong, but it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. Right. And I think the long-term trend is that Elections Canada is re- 
realizing that more people want more flexibility. We might see this go up and up and up uh, in future. They really did promote it. And they added, you know, last time they had three po- through 3,600 pol- polling stations in the country. This time it was uh, almost 5,000. Yeah. So you had more places to vote, more publicity to get you to vote. And uh, I think it was probably uh, about the same. But that said, it is strong. You're quite right. That was Libby Snymer's Election Day conversation with Zoomer Media VP David Kravitz and Zoomer Magazine senior editor Peter Muggridge. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On the day after the election, our Tuesday strategy panelists weighed in on the outcome of a liberal minority win and a more divided and polarized Canada than ever. Most of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's seats are in eastern Canada, while the Liberals were completely shut out of Saskatchewan and Alberta. Joining Libby Snymer on Tuesday with reaction, Semhar Tekest, Senior Public Affairs Consultant at Enterprise Canada, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, and Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Toronto Office of Earnscliff Strategy Group. You know, it's obviously an enormous sense of relief for the Liberal campaign to have emerged with uh, a very sizable minority. Uh, There were obvious concerns about what happened in Saskatchewan and in Alberta, although our strength in um, British Columbia remains. Obviously, we maintained a lot of support in Atlantic Canada, in Quebec, and most notably in Ontario, where the Liberal campaign managed to sweep all 2416 ridings, which is uh, a considerable relief given what happened in the provincial Ontario election last year, where uh, we were reduced to uh, seven seats. So, all told, I think um, if you're a Liberal this morning, there's much cause for celebration. Karen Stintz, uh, you're, you're not a Liberal, but you were predicting a Liberal majority. I was. I actually uh, thought the NDP might lose its party status because coming into the campaign, there was some question about whether or not uh, Jagmeet Singh was connecting with the public, whether there was going to be candidates in Eastern Canada, whether they could meet their fundraising. He um, couldn't afford a plane, so he was on a bus, making it difficult to, to campaign. So I actually thought um, that the collapse of the NDP would work in the favor of the Liberals. So I, I, I thought they would have a... Re- a reduction of their seats, but I actually thought that they would be that they would be able to maintain their majority. And what do you make of the result? Well, it uh, so the NDP didn't uh, they they did stronger than I thought. Um, I actually think, unfortunately, the real um, unfortunate part of this campaign is the lack of the the movement in the Green Party. Because if there was an election, really, where they were going to make a breakthrough, it would have been this one. And uh, they still only managed to get three seats, I think. Um, I think, all told, it was better for the NDP than I thought, worse for the Green than I anticipated. Uh, You know, the winner is, again, the Liberals, which, again, I think everybody expected. It's just, uh, I thought that they'd do a little bit better than they did. Semhar, did the Conservatives under Andrew Scheer blow it? I don't think they blew it. Look, I think that um, the plan had always been for it to take two elections for Andrew Scheer to become prime minister. Um, They've increased their parliamentary standing. There's now 26 extra seats that the Conservatives have picked up. Um, I also think that... um, you know, this this was a tough campaign. It was a dirty campaign, and we're the only. I think all of the 
party leaders or most of the party leaders lost. I think the only person or the only party leader who came out of this election a winner is Mr. Blanchet. Um, I had no idea who Mr. Blanchet was on day one of this election, and I think most Canadians didn't think the bloc was a factor, um, and he managed to get It through. wasn't right. until he came out of the gate. That's right, and here we are, 32 seats. Uh, he's got an important standing in, in the House of Commons and, uh, and an important voice uh, for, for separatist Quebecers. I'm going to get a closing statement from each one of you starting with Semhar. Um, I'm happy to see the election over. Um, I will say that uh, this is an election of losses. I think it's it's a loss for Canadians as a whole. Um, I think it's a loss for most of the party leaders and the only real winner of this election was Blanchette, which might actually hurt Canada as a whole. So I would really like to see the Prime Minister make uh, required efforts to, to unite, unite Canadians and ensure this country remains united. Charles? I think Canadians have spoken. They've produced a result which is quite remarkable, which is to say that the Liberals have been reduced from a majority to a fairly solid minority, so they'll have to behave differently, they'll have to act differently, they'll have to work more cooperatively with other product, pro parties, and I think it's a credit to our democracy that we have this result. Yeah, I do think that... Um Trudeau would be would be wise to see this for what it is, which is he he, he didn't get handed a majority. It's not business as usual in Ottawa, and and uh, changing the way that he has been doing business, uh, I think would be beneficial for him and his future. Uh, you know, in spite of all the rhetoric around Andrew Shear, I think he did a good job. He increased his seat count. People know him now. He learned a lot. And it would be a shame to waste those learnings trying to get into a leadership debate, which I think will not produce gains for the party. And I think, again, you know, Elizabeth May, she's going to retire from politics. And uh, I think that we owe her a debt of gratitude for highlighting an issue that became the election issue for a lot of Canadians. And it's unfortunate that her party didn't make bigger gains, but uh, I think that party um, has room to grow. And uh, I think we, we do owe her a debt of gratitude. Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor Charles Byrd at Earnscliff Strategy Group, and Semhard Tekest at Enterprise Canada. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Toronto Mayor John Tory is feeling optimistic about an ongoing relationship with the Trudeau Liberals in Ottawa. All 25 ridings in Toronto went Liberal in Monday's election, but because it's a minority government, the mayor thinks this could work in the favour of Toronto's best interests. Mayor Tory joined Libby Snymer on Wednesday to discuss the Liberal sweep of Toronto. The real test for that is, are, are they doing a good job representing their local interests? Because the party they represent, if you said to me, okay, we had you know four NDP and four Conservative and a bunch of Liberals or any other such number, I don't know how much difference that makes. I think it does mean there are voices from another party that might stand up in the House of Commons and ask a question about Toronto or apply some pressure. But I will say this. The previous uh, group of Liberal MPs, most of whom have been re-elected, same people, um, did a pretty good job of lobbying on our behalf to get money for transit, money for housing. So I just hope they go back to work and have the same or more success than they had before on things like more money for transit, more money for affordable housing, and get added to that list things like mental health and community safety. So I will not say it's a bad thing. These are people who you know, have worked with us well in the, my time as mayor, and I hope will going forward. Uh, and the people make that choice. I never argue with whether it's right, wrong, good, bad. They made their choice, and so I now, my job is to work together with the people who are elected, and that's what I'll do. Okay, uh, and how does the fact that it's a minority parliament play into this? 
Uh, I think it helps us a little bit to work with the other parties uh, to apply pressure on the government so that when it comes to, say, money for affordable housing or the kinds of investments we need in community safety, especially for investing in neighborhoods and kids and families, we can work with the, with the NDP, for example, or, uh, you know, and we will continue to work with the official opposition, the Conservatives. Um, but I think that can help. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, anytime there's a majority government, that majority government can choose to just say, well, thank you for your views and not pay much attention to them. Uh, in minority government, you tend not to be able to do that. So I think that uh, it should help us advance our cause uh, with a government that has been a pretty good partner for Toronto overall. They've kept most of the promises they made in the last election, 2015. Now the job is going to be to get them to keep the promises they made in this election on things like community safety, housing, transit, and so on. Okay. Do you have uh, priorities, what you want to see get done first? Uh, Well, yes, I do in this respect, Libby. I would say that we have quite a bit of committed money for transit and housing, and the challenge will be just to make sure it flows. Uh, I'd like to see more committed for the future, but I think if we just get the money that's already committed from the previous term of office uh, flowing, that would be fine. So it means in terms of new investment, uh, you know, that we would like to see them move forward and make it would be in the areas of community safety, especially investment in some of the neighborhoods that really need some support to help us with gun violence and just to help us with opportunity. And secondly, mental health. It is a huge issue we've discussed before uh, that is confronting us in many different aspects of city life, like homelessness, uh, policing, and so on, and we really need more help with mental health. We saw an extremely conciliatory statement from Premier Doug Ford, who's basically been MIA and who was the target of the Prime Minister's electioneering. Do you think that this is a kinder, gentler Doug Ford, and does that have any implications for the city's dealings? Well, I'll say for my own part, leaving aside his relationship with the Prime Minister, that uh, Mr. Ford, since he made some changes uh, late in the spring or in the summer, um, has uh, his government has been uh, easier to deal with. And I can speak to that personally and say that that is the case. And that includes the Premier. Um, so I, I would think things are looking up in that regard. Um, I very much hope that now that the election time's over, I mean, you know, elections, for good or for bad, lead to sometimes fractious relationships because people are mentioning each other's names and in political uh, discourse, uh, and the election's over, and uh, Mr. Ford doesn't have an election coming for some time. So I would hope that we can all work together, and I think his statement yesterday was meant to indicate that, and I will certainly be doing everything I can to help to make sure that the relationship between all three of us uh, is good, uh, because really what we're all there to do on behalf of the very same people is get stuff done, get transit built, get some more affordable housing, uh, you know, make sure the community stays safe. So I'm, I'm optimistic that uh, that statement and other things that I've seen indicate uh, that better times lie ahead in terms of the ability of all three governments to work together. I've had no trouble working with the federal government for the whole of the four years the same government's been in office. Um, I worked all right with, uh, you know, better than all right with Kathleen Wynne when she was Premier of Ontario. We had a bit of a rocky start with uh, Premier Ford, but I think things are improving. Toronto Mayor John Tory in conversation on Wednesday with Libby Snymer. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. It was early this month. U.S. President Donald Trump abruptly ordered the pullout of U.S. troops supporting their Kurdish allies in Syria in the fight against ISIS. 
It's a move that was widely condemned, including by Trump's fellow Republicans, as a stunning betrayal that will weaken American credibility, reverse gains against ISIS, make it harder for the U.S. to build alliances, and give a boost to Russia, China, and Iran. And despite Trump's announcement that he's bringing his troops home, they will be mostly repositioned in western Iraq, while some will remain temporarily in Syria to protect oil fields from ISIS, an apparent walk back of Trump's plan. As to the ceasefire announced with great fanfare by U.S. Vice President Mike Pence, it does not appear to be holding. To find out where this leaves the situation, Libby was joined on Monday by Dr. David Carment, Professor of International Affairs at Carleton's University Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, and Dr. Balkan Devlin, Associate Professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. The United States, by, by pulling out or you know, the way that Trump announces it um, and, and the, the terms of the uh, ceasefire, um, doesn't have much uh, leverage anymore. Uh, but, the, but the future of, of the ceasefire, whether it's going to hold or not, uh, as well as the whole sort of um, setup, will be much more determined when Erdogan meets uh, with Putin. Uh, one thing is quite clear, though, that but, you know, at least for, for the parties concerned in Syria, including Turks, Kurds, uh, Iranians, Syrians, um, the United States seems to be getting out of picture. Dr. Carment, what's your view? Well, the Americans are are leaving. Let's be uh, clear here, Libby. That we're talking about uh, 500 U.S. forces departing Syria. Uh, now there's some discussion of uh, probably 200 staying behind in Syria, yep. possibly as uh, observers or at least to uh, in response to the criticism that the uh, the Trump administration was facing about abandoning the Kurds, but. But I think what they're trying to do there is avoid any friction that will occur between uh, Assad's forces who are uh, moving northward, if you will. Also, they have a, a stake or a claim on the territory occupied by the Kurds and the, uh, the larger forces that they have been battling, um, the SDF, the, of which the, the Kurds have been a part of, uh, and that's the, the, the group that the, uh, the Turks are going after. Um, but on the other hand, we've got a, a ceasefire crumbling. I don't think that's the way I would phrase it. I'd say Erdogan's probably going to succeed in getting his 30K, 30-kilometer 30 buffer. That's really what he's looking for, and, and ultimately he's looking for a more stable border uh, between his country and Syria, and there are a whole bunch of important reasons why he would want that. So I would say, yeah, things are in flux, but I'd also say that the end game here is that uh, Turkey's going to achieve its uh, its need for a buffer between itself and what it considers to be a hostile force in the Kurds, the YPG, which is a part of the uh, Syrian defense. Well, one of the criticisms is that this is giving ISIS a good chance to regroup and reactivate, and we know that uh, a, a couple of the prisons that were holding ISIS fighters and uh, some of their families have been dispersed. I would say that this is uh, is is an is an issue, but it's not front and center to the the core problem. I mean, again, are we going to lay that at the uh, at the at the doorstep of Donald Trump, uh, or are we going to look for a larger regional stability pact, which has to come with some concessions on every party side, and in particular, uh, to dismiss Turkey's uh, genuine security concerns. Um, as Donald Trump has said himself, 
I think is is uh, misleading. So, but he's he's right that Turkey has security concerns. But I would I would take it even further. I would suggest that uh, Turkey is a main trade corridor, uh, bringing goods and services across the border, primarily through truck and so on, uh, into the region, and uh, we can revitalize the economy. This is going to. In the long run, the goal here should be to strengthen the regional economy. Uh, we know many countries there are performing under under the bar, and um, I think Turkey can be a key source of uh, growth for the region, and part of that will come through opening up trade routes, which have been closed off by virtue of the wars in Iraq and Syria. Dr. Devlin, um, does this do a good thing for ISIS and make it easier for them to regroup? Um, I mean, after all the battles in Raqqa and Mosul and, and whatnot, we still uh, estimate that there are about 30,000 or so ISIS fighters around um, and that they, they went underground. The, uh, support, we, we can't really get very you know, good information about who is left and who is uh, under, under guard and whatnot, but the numbers even coming out a few hundred here and there, uh, I think would not necessarily... Uh, shift the balance one way or another. The return of ISIS, the possibility of it in a different form is an ever-present danger, but whether this particular operation uh, significantly increases that is, I think, uh, is, is, is a matter of discussion, and I'm not really sure that it does it. Um, uh, at this stage. Libby's conversation on Monday with Dr. Balkan Devlin at the University of Copenhagen and Dr. David Carment, professor at Carleton University's Norman Patterson School of International Affairs. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Kathy in Etobicoke called to say how disappointed she is that issues for older Canadians were ignored during the federal election campaign. I am extremely frustrated with all of the parties regarding the, the position of the, of the seniors. And we, we have been ignored. As a senior, I think that we should be taken a little bit more seriously. And I think what all the response I got from each one of the, the candidates I wrote to was, thank you for your email. By the way... How would you like to support us? Mm. I, I realize they're busy, but you know what? If you want our vote, you want to take us seriously. For heaven's sakes, take the time to answer some of the questions that people are asking you. Colin in Toronto offered his thoughts on the election outcome for the Conservatives. I think the Conservatives should put somebody in like Peter McKay. Uh, if he was in in this election, they would have done a lot better. Uh, they, they need a rock star politician, as they say. You know, because a lot of it's a popularity contest. Alex in East York phoned to say, despite the Bloc Québécois' big win in the federal election, separatism won't become an issue. Worrying about Quebec separatism, I stopped worrying about that a long time ago. It's not going to happen. They are too dependent on the constant pandering that our federal, irrespective of who the government is, the federal government panders to that province. Our space agency is there. They moved the Canadian Forces Supply Depot from Ontario. Every big project is in Quebec, and they're too dependent on the transfer of funds. Separating might mean losing all that money and clout, and I don't think anyone there is really going to do it. Bob in Etobicoke called with his take on the outcome of the federal vote. 
This election, it couldn't have been worse for the country, the way it ended up with no representation for the, for, in the actual government from the Prairie Provinces and the Quebec situation. Most of the votes that come in for the Conservatives were at West were really against Trudeau. If they want to try and save this government, it would be, if I was Trudeau, I would suggest that he steps down and put somebody else in because the people really didn't vote necessarily against the Liberal Party out West, but they sure voted against Trudeau. My hope is that we do have another election probably within six months to a year and get this result because that's not right. And now... Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Marion in Etobicoke, who says now is the time for leaders in the House of Commons to work cooperatively for the benefit of Canadians. Every head of each party is a very intelligent person. Could they please get over their ego trips and work together. This election has shown that we, the public, are not happy with the way the country's going. We need unity. Please, please, let's get it together. Let's not even talk about another election in two years. That's money wasted. Let's work together now and make us a strong, proud country that each of us says we are. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.